Trigger warning, this podcast contains details from emotional abuse survivors. Welcome back to Emotional Abuse is Real. I'm so glad you're here. I'm your host, Serene Leeds, and before we get started, I just want to thank everyone who has listened to this podcast so far. This is a one-woman production, so every single one of you is so appreciated. And on that note, here's a quick reminder to please follow me on Instagram at Serene Leeds Writes. That's S-A-R-E-N-E-L-E-E-D-S-W-R-I-T-E-S. And on Twitter at Serene Leeds, S-A-R-E-N-E-L-E-E-D-S. Also, please subscribe to this podcast as well as take a moment to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Today, I'm going to share Catherine's story with you. Catherine is a planetary geologist, so already you know we're talking about a very smart, very cool human being here. We connected in the summer of 2022 for a reason you're probably already quite familiar with if you're a regular listener to this podcast. I interviewed Catherine for the original emotional abuse article that inspired this podcast. As is the case with everyone who has shared their story so far, I just want to say how grateful I am to Catherine for how deeply they opened up to me. I was a complete stranger, and yet our interview lasted for over an hour. Catherine was equal parts raw and measured throughout our interview, making it a true pleasure to talk with them. In full transparency, Catherine does not appear in this episode. Because they had already shared their entire story with me last summer, they, understandably, decided to not directly revisit their trauma on the podcast. Catherine did, however, give me their full permission to tell their story. Also, for privacy reasons, Catherine will be referred to by their first name only. So, without further ado, here's Catherine's story. Catherine's story begins back in 2009, when they were still in high school. At 16, they met a guy who would become their first and only boyfriend. Side note, Catherine would eventually come out as non-binary and date women after this experience. The relationship between Catherine and their boyfriend was predominantly long distance, with things starting to go downhill once the boyfriend went away to university. Another side note, this is probably a good opportunity to say that Catherine is Canadian, so I'll be using the term university as opposed to the American-style college. While they were still in high school, Catherine was living with undiagnosed ADHD and was struggling as a young neurodivergent student. I should also add here that they weren't diagnosed until they were 21 years old but they now have their ADHD under control with meds and therapy. And as the mom of an ADHD child, I say, yay, Catherine, you're awesome. In addition to dealing with their ADHD, Catherine was bullied for much of their childhood for being, in their words, quote, nerdy and queer. Have I mentioned that kids can be incredibly cruel? 
I know this is a podcast about emotional abuse, but I may have to do some episodes where I just talk about all the bullying I dealt with prior to college. And I'm sure many of you have those stories as well. But I digress. By the time Catherine got to high school, they had found their people fitting in with a group of friends who were, in their words, quote, quirky and weird. As Catherine recounted their boyfriend's behavior to me, we as grown adults could both recognize his narcissistic and abusive patterns. But when you're young and in the throes of a relationship, it's easy to dismiss this kind of harmful behavior. The first red flag that popped up was an odd request Catherine's boyfriend made regarding their Facebook profile. At the time, Catherine identified as bisexual and it said so on their Facebook page. But the boyfriend claiming he was trying to avoid comments from people in his small town asked Catherine to remove the bisexual identifier from their Facebook profile. The second red flag was even harder to spot because it was concealed in a grand love bombing gesture. The boyfriend had initially said he couldn't attend Catherine's prom, but then he secretly arranged with Catherine's friends and parents to surprise them at prom. Catherine calls this one of the loveliest things he ever did. But that wasn't all the boyfriend had up his sleeve. He had taken ballroom dancing lessons so he could supposedly, sweep Catherine off their feet. The trouble was, the boyfriend was more concerned with showing off his sweet new moves and less about Catherine's happiness. When he didn't get some of the steps right, instead of laughing it off and enjoying himself, the boyfriend got so frustrated that he eventually just refused to dance at all. Catherine says they ended up dancing with their friends for most of the night all because their boyfriend made their prom, their night, about himself. After high school graduation, Catherine decided to attend the same university as their boyfriend. But that's when they said, quote, things really started to fall apart. Even though Catherine got along really well with the boyfriend's group of friends, the boyfriend seemed to detest Catherine's self-described quirky personality. For example, Catherine says they would be the person who always volunteered to do something silly, like, say, I don't know, putting a colander on their head like it was a hat. Just silly, harmless things that Catherine would soon learn annoyed the hell out of the boyfriend. So much so that he would tell Catherine he felt, quote, embarrassed on their behalf. Looking back, Catherine can now identify the boyfriend's microaggressions as emotional abuse, but at the time, they thought his attention was actually positive. The boyfriend would tell Catherine he thought they were autistic, and it's only now that Catherine knows he was using the term autistic as an, ins as an insult. Side note, Catherine is not autistic, and even if they were, we all know that's not a bad thing. I think he was generally upset that I was getting attention from his friends, Catherine told me. But at this time, Catherine's understanding of emotional abuse extended to a controlling, isolating partner, not someone who was just, in their words, 
quote, being very shitty to me. Another toxic pattern Catherine's boyfriend would exhibit throughout their relationship was how he would initiate a conversation about their relationship, in other words, weakly suggest breaking up, only for a devastated Catherine to then beg him not to end things. The boyfriend did this multiple times during Catherine's first semester at university, with the most memorable breakup attempt occurring during Canadian Thanksgiving. For those of you not familiar with the holiday, we're talking October as opposed to November 2010. Over Thanksgiving weekend, Catherine and their boyfriend planned a big trip with friends to the amusement park Canada's Wonderland. Another side note, I went there on a camp trip in 1992. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Anyway, so the boyfriend arrives at Catherine's dorm for their fun-filled weekend. The two of them have sex, only for him to then turn to Catherine and announce, I think I want to break up with you. Understandably, Catherine, to use their words, lost their shit. Not only was this an absolutely callous move on the boyfriend's part, but he seemed to have forgotten that Catherine canceled going home to see their family in order to go on this trip with him. But that wasn't even the lowest this guy could go. Even though Catherine demanded he leave their dorm, he refused to do so, and Catherine wound up sleeping on the couch. Then the boyfriend proposed a, quote, trial breakup and started making demands. Ridiculous, unreasonable demands that Catherine admits they just couldn't see at the time because they were still, for all intents and purposes, a child. So what were the boyfriend's conditions? They would still spend the weekend together and go to Canada's Wonderland, but they would just be friends. They would sleep in the same bed, but no kissing. Because that's healthy, right? Uh, but that's exactly what Catherine and I talked about. When you're immersed in these kinds of relationships, you don't see the toxic behavior. You don't see the control and isolation because it's happening so subtly. So it shouldn't come as a surprise when I tell you that by the end of the weekend, the boyfriend had decided that he and Catherine should be in a relationship and they got back together. The relationship continued to deteriorate with Catherine failing out of their university program and the boyfriend constantly playing mind games with them. First, he gave Catherine jewelry for Christmas with the hope of, as he told them, turning over a new leaf in our relationship. And then he broke up with Catherine on New Year's Day. Over MSN Messenger, of all things. But even then, he made it impossible for Catherine to move on and deal with their own pain over both the breakup and failing out of their program. Catherine now had to comfort him over how upset he was over the breakup. And their relationship shifted into what Catherine called an exceedingly toxic friendship during the early months of 2011. They're not wrong with that assessment. Once the ex-boyfriend started dating other women and these women inevitably broke up with him, he would come crawling back to Catherine 
begging for sympathy, which they provided because, well, they were, quote, friends now. During this period of so-called friendship, the ex-boyfriend revealed to Catherine that he had deliberately started treating them terribly in the hope they would break up with him so he wouldn't be the bad guy. Because heaven forbid he thought about Catherine's feelings throughout this time. Anyway, Catherine eventually was able to return to their university program in the fall of 2011. But extracting themselves from this toxic ex-boyfriend would be another semester-long endeavor. So because they were in the same university program, Catherine wound up working on a project with the ex-boyfriend. And it was a disaster, with the ex-boyfriend deliberately trying to sabotage Catherine's future career because he saw Catherine as a threat. Yep, that sounds familiar. The ex-boyfriend would gaslight Catherine into believing they were incompetent by complaining about them to their supervisor. If that wasn't enough, this guy also told Catherine they weren't welcome at a house where their mutual friends lived, even though he didn't live there himself. He also made a point of toying with Catherine's deep-seated insecurities by telling them their friends thought they were a, quote, silly little kid. Fortunately for Catherine, no one was buying any of this guy's behavior. Their engineering supervisor knew Catherine wasn't incompetent, and their friends assured Catherine they were always welcome at their house. More importantly, at this point, Catherine had started taking charge of their mental health. They were seeing a therapist and had gone on medication. They also now had enough self-confidence to know that the ex-boyfriend's toxic comments were bullshit. So when they started standing up for themselves, the ex-boyfriend finally ended their farce of a friendship once and for all, just in time for Catherine to fail out of their university program. Again. I know it sounds cliche, but sometimes you do need to hit this kind of rock bottom before turning your life around. And that's exactly what happened with Catherine. They moved back in with their mom and started a new program at a different university in early 2012. Eventually, Catherine received their ADHD diagnosis as well as the appropriate accommodations and medications they needed to thrive. And now they're a PhD student. Catherine understands now that what happened with their ex-boyfriend was emotional abuse. Their feelings were validated even further several years ago by another one of the ex-boyfriend's girlfriends who confirmed his emotionally abusive patterns hadn't changed at all. But in the past decade, Catherine has rebuilt their self-esteem and is in a far better mental state than they were 10 years ago. They credit this life change to therapy, medication, healthy support from family and friends, and their own acceptance of their identity as a queer person. 
But Catherine does have some words of wisdom for anyone out there who might be wondering if they're being emotionally abused. The first red flag they mentioned is if anyone watches the movie The Social Network and is inspired by Mark Zuckerberg as portrayed by Jesse Eisenberg in the film. Catherine told me that when they went to see the film with their boyfriend, he couldn't stop, quote, gushing over how Mark Zuckerberg was, quote, such an inspiration. And for those who need a refresher, the Zuckerberg character is a contemptible, arrogant asshole. Catherine told me they were all, uh, did we watch the same film? Catherine also believes it's important to understand that emotional abuse isn't always so overt. It can be subtle like patronizing slights here and there. If someone doesn't see you as an equal and treats you as such, that's a sign something isn't right in the relationship. As for why we need to talk about emotional abuse, which is a question that I always ask on this podcast, Catherine's answer resonated with me deeply, so I'm going to quote them directly here to wrap up their story. It's easy to brush emotional abuse off as not being a big deal because we, as emotional abuse victims, compare ourselves to the classic physical and sexual abuse victims. We undermine our own experiences and say, somebody else has it worse than me, so I don't want to take away resources from somebody who has it worse. I don't want to complain if somebody has it worse. What I went through is not that bad because somebody has it worse. But we can only live in our own experiences. We can empathize greatly with other people and understand that, yeah, maybe objectively somebody who has been physically harmed by their partner has it, quote, worse. But if I have not experienced what it is like firsthand to be physically harmed by a partner, my barometer for what is, quote, the worst is my own experience. And the scale can be adjusted depending on what your own experience is. But just because other people may objectively have it worse than you, it doesn't mean that your own lived experience is not worth talking about and not worth understanding as abuse and not worth getting resources to try to heal from that. Thank you once again for listening to Catherine's story on Emotional Abuse is Real. And if you would like to share your emotional abuse story here on the podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out at hello at sereneleads.com or through Instagram at sereneleadswrites. Please note that this podcast should not be used as a substitute for professional mental health services. If you are a victim of emotional abuse and need help, please call or text the Suicide and Crisis Hotline at 988 or call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. You can also text START, S-T-A-R-T, to 88788. Thanks so much for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and I'll see you next time.